The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Fucking... And welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. I'm your host, JP John Paz. And with me again for another edition of Who Is? Is the Booker Extraordinaire, Booker V, Mr. RBV. Rick, what's going on? Hey, glad to be back, gentlemen. Uh, I gave you I gave you a week off last week. Yes. Uh, but I'm coming back. I'm bringing the thunder. Uh, I'm excited about this topic. I mean, you mean we're going around the world. We're going through the territories. We're going through so many different ears. We're, we're going to have to, you know, break down that fine line again between promoter, Booker, who's making those final calls. This is going to be a fun one. Yes, and the third man in the booth, the doctor himself, Michael Jargo. Jargo, what's going on? I I, I thought this was an easy one, guys. I mean, like the the answer is Booker T. I mean, like without any question. Like as soon as I got this topic, I was just like, well, that's easy. It's Booker T. Who, who, are, who could possibly be a greater Booker than Booker T? You are. You're exactly. You're exactly right there, Jargo. Uh, my Booker for the Pro Wrestling Alliance is Booker T. Booker Ted McNailer, the Man Beast. Nice. So today's topic, obviously, with who is is who is the greatest Booker ever? Who is the best? We're going to go through a lot of different territories, a lot of different people, a lot of different promotions. Who is the greatest booker of all time? I think just to start it off, let's just say or start with Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Not really a booker, more of a promoter, but always has his booking hat on, right? I mean, RBV, would you say if he say greatest booker of all time, would you say Vince automatically? Well, when you look at the, the level, the platform that the WWE is on, the global phenom, and the influence that it really has had over the entire industry for now going on decades, uh, really since he took the helm back there in the 80s and, and took the thing you know, national to around the globe, the final say, it, it, in many of these cases, though, when we're going to kind of break down that fine line between the, the owner, promoter, and Booker, uh, there's a lot of gray areas there, but Vince, I'd say, you know, he's in that conversation, but you know, he's referred, he's had, he's had some great people around him. And that's, that's what you do is as the top dog, the promoter, you make sure that you surround yourself with the people that have those expertise. They're going to lead you in the right direction. And, you know, just recently I 
what cross that line of myself or I've mentioned, I started promoting shows and it, and it's everyone's, you know, everyone, when we sit here, the, the armchair quarterbacks, the dream scenario, there's a lot more that goes into it than booking. So you kind of get wrapped up in that. And if, if you've never experienced it, if you haven't sit under one of those learning trees, believe me, what you think, you know, now you don't. So it is of the utmost importance to go get someone who knows what the hell they're talking about and what the hell they're doing. Cargo. Is you it know, Vince? I, I think Vince has to be in the conversation, but I mean, if, if anybody is going to try to discredit Vince, I think Rick just did a really, really good job of it because it's not necessarily Vince. It's the team that Vince put around him, which has always been second to none. Um, but I will throw, uh, I guess, the first one out there that's not Vince McMahon, and that would be Vince McMahon. Like, if we're not talking Vincent Kennedy McMahon, what about Vince Sr.? I mean, he absolutely has to be considered for this list, too, doesn't he? You would think so. I would say yes. Well, you know, even, you know, staying true to the territory, he was, you know, at the time, he was still the dominant territory, kind of the standout. People still wanted to go there. You know, it, it, we're sampling so much of what he had going on. Now, again, that could be because, you know, hell, even at that time, he dominates where the population of the country's at. So, yes, you're going to be the more, you know, wildly popular. Um, now, I do want to ask is we were to, if we're talking about both of the McMahons here and what they've done. You know, before we keep, keep deep diving here, I do want to ask you guys this, maybe because it, it sets some parameters. Are we looking for like those home run booking decisions or are overall body of work or a little combination because you know when i think of vince mcmahon and one of the calls he made is what brought to on that gr on that grand stage maybe the greatest character ever in all professional wrestling and that's mr mcmahon i would say both you, you got to be able to hit some home runs but you gotta have some longevity as well um i wouldn't say that's like the end all be all but you gotta have some home runs in there no yeah, I, I, I think, you know, that's probably the ultimate home run. And then, you know, it's also Vince's decision. And you hear on those big projects, he really handles them so closely himself. So, you know, where he really, where it already existed in Hulkamania, he saw that vision and sculpted it in, in his vision of what it could be, this incredible phenom. Hmm. It, 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 it's... It's an interesting one because I feel like to apply it to baseball, right? Would you rather have a guy that can just hit like, you know, 60 homers for three years? Or would you rather have a guy hit 400 for 10 years? You know, because I, 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 I feel like consistency, longevity absolutely plays into it. Yeah, the home runs are nice and they can absolutely get you into the conversation. But I, I feel like you can outweigh just the the out of the park home runs off of consistency and longevity too. Well, I, I would counter that though, as we make the baseball comparison, we have to look at situation circumstance because I'll take a Sammy Sosa and the impact that he had because baseball was desperately in need of excitement. And you gentlemen, you, we we were coming up that about that same age. I mean, you everybody, you're out in public. I remember I used to work a, a park district here. You know, you've had the hustle and bustle people in out of boats. We ever had a radio on outside. Everyone would stop what they were doing when Sammy or Mark came up to the plate yep. and it essentially saved baseball. Yeah. Especially so, coming out of the strike in 94. Right. So something like that where Sammy was just hot for those couple years. Absolutely. But I, but I do have, I absolutely do see that point. 
you know, could you sustain that? Did you do it for five, 10, 15, 20 years? And I feel like that's the thing that Vince Jr. absolutely has to bring to the table, whether we think that he's necessarily a good booker or not, whether he's made some questionable booking decisions or not, the amount of content and the amount of booking that goes into a WWE product over the course of 40 years, I mean, you have to take that into consideration, whether it's necessarily good or not, you know, two completely different things. But as far as being a good booker, you got to be able to show the returns. You got to be able to have the money. You got to be able to have to put the butts in the seats. And I think as far as getting a return on your booking or on your creative, Vince has got to stand out above everybody else, no? Well, yeah, but I mean, the, the other thing too, like we talk about fan the fan metrics, right? When we talk about like the John Cena era and whatnot. So Vince put a lot of button seats Vince has ran a lot of butts out of seats over the course of that period of time as well. And I, and I feel like that absolutely has to play into it too. With Vince, he always had guys under him that were great bookers. And, and when you think of the successful periods of the WBF, everyone always says the creative genius or the creative force behind Vince being the, you know, the final say would be a guy like Pat Patterson, who was there forever, really the golden era, and even was still there during the Attitude Era. Not writing, obviously, during the Attitude Era and stuff, but was always there being the head agent for a while, being the final decision on putting matches together, being the final decision to Vince as far as do I agree or disagree with decision psychology-wise, does this go this way, but... Really, I know they had different bookers during the Golden Era, which means it's the Hogan Era. You know, I, I, I believe Sandy Scott was there. I think George Scott might have been there. Uh, Jim Barnett. I mean, they had a bunch of different guys kind of coming in and out. But the mainstay was Pat Patterson. And in talking to J.J. Dillon, he said when he was there, Pat was like the head guy and the head booker as far as like, OK, maybe Vince says yay or nay. But Pat was kind of putting everything together. Yeah, and I, you know, that goes, you know, Vince kind of understood, you know, I was talking to you, you need somebody you can trust in those spots. And, and that was always that rock. And maybe that's why, you know, Vince, maybe that's why, you know, Pat really never got the official title booker uh, because it is a position where you're more than likely to have your head lopped off at some point. So, you know, you have kind of Pat protected in that where he is going to be that, that, that grandfather, if you will, uh, that, that, that guiding light, that voice of, of knowledge uh, that's going to keep you moving without all of those pressures. But certainly, although maybe he wasn't officially in the position for how many years, how many times, big moments, uh, for God's sakes, you know, one of the grandest things in all professional wrestling is the Royal Rumble, and that's you know, that's his child. Well, I mean, in a weird way, you, Vince is really, really smart to have had so many bookers too. I mean, it, it has been said countless times. What, what's the, the lifespan of a booker? I mean, you're, you're looking at two, three, maybe five years. And that's a, that's a pretty dang good lifespan. But I mean, you're coming up with how many stories over the course of those five years? It, it's not bad for a wrestling promotion to be changing bookers every three to five years. And in fact, in a lot of cases, it's actually encouraged. 
So, I mean, Vince just having enough smarts to put those booking teams around him, I think that's one of the things. It's absolutely, I mean, nobody on any of these shows is ever coming out and questioning Vince McMahon's business mind, right? Like, he has always surrounded himself with the smartest people, and that's the reason that he's had the longevity that he's had. But regardless of who the booker necessarily was, Vince is still the guy given the yes or no. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it was like Vince was the booker, and then there was a bunch of little mini bookers underneath of Vince. Hey, I think what's really interesting that you say there, Jargo, is you you speak to just how brilliant of a business mind Vince McMahon has been inside of professional wrestling and, and as that promoter. I think what we have to realize, too, as we begin to talk about all these other tremendous minds, these great individuals, is it's for so many fans, they said, well, I would do I would have done this. I would do this. You're talking about on the scale of a WWE, how large they are. There's so many other factors going in. You've got you've got bigger egos. You've got an inflated roster you're dealing with. But even outside of that, when we talk about the business aspect, you have to appease sponsors. Uh, you know, just recently, the, the internet wrestling community locked their heads blew up over that zombie stunt that they had pulled back at uh, was it at WrestleMania Backlash. You know, everybody, I can't believe, why would they do something like, well, you know why they did that? Because then they get like $5 million for it. So yeah. you, you have to play into some of these things. And, you and you know, we even see why these celebrities, you're going back here to Bad Bunny at WrestleMania. Well, you need those crossover appeals because that's opening just not up to those viewers. That's opening up to your advertising markets and your other business partnerships. So sometimes you got to roll with those punches and make the best of them. And I think just, you know, when we start looking at some of these other bookers and maybe some situations where they've faced that kind of adversity, how are they able to adapt and, and get over? You know, one of my favorite questions is when you ask people, hey, if, if they told you you got to get so-and-so over, well, I'd just say they're out of here. But no, you wouldn't because you'd be out of there. The reality of it is sometimes you've got to work through that. Now, if you're if you're really good at that book, you're going to come up with something that's going to get it over or at least be somewhat passable for the fans and make you some some dough on the back end. Well, yeah, because I mean, with the exception of, I think, maybe two or three names on my list, Vince put them all out of business. You know, I mean, at, at the end of the day, Vince is still the only one that's still around. I, I do have a couple other names that are still active, but a lot of the guys are guys that worked for Vince. You know, it, it, it's it's hard to argue Vince at the top of this list. With the mini booker thing, like WBF had mini bookers, like we were saying, this guy comes in, Pat Patterson kind of is a booker, maybe the smartest guy in the room kind of thing where the like, they're going to feed off of him and, and pick his brain on stuff, but Vince is making the final call. This guy doesn't consider himself a booker. He says he's more of a writer, but with Vince Russo and the Attitude Era having the most success they've ever had, would you put him on your list? Is, is he even considered? Or writer, booker is two, two different complete things because he says it is, but to me, it's very similar. Hmm. That's, a, that's a good one. That's a good one. I, I think in many ways... Mr. Russo has kind of he's trying to write his own narrative in the sense that he wasn't the traditional booker. So he's trying to put himself maybe in this different category where let's be honest with it. He didn't have the background and the knowledge of the in-ring fundamentals. He knew how to write compelling television. Yes. 
I mean, look at what it did. It was the greatest boom in professional wrestling, and he was kind of that mastermind behind that. Uh, but he'll even admit himself, you know, he would write kind of where the story should be going and then would remove himself. That was up for the agents and all that. Where we're talking about these other bookers, uh, as I'm sure, you know, we're going to get into, we can't talk, but we talk about Russo, you got to talk about Cornette. So Cornette, in his mind, he could put that entire, when he was booking, it was the story inside the ring. What should happen there that makes sense? Where with Russo, it was everything but that. Hmm. That's a tough one. And especially really when, when you get into the massive TV contracts, whether it be Raw back in the day, whether it be SmackDown when they were doing the SmackDown 6, would you call Paul Heyman the booker of the SmackDown 6? Mm -hmm. It was Vince yeah. the booker. You, you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. the when you get into the whole writers thing, that that actually becomes a really, really kind of gray line there where I'm not sure where the crossing point necessarily is. Man, um, the Russo thing is interesting, but you just mentioned Rick, you mentioned Cornette, Jargo, you mentioned Heyman. I mean, we can go in any kind of direction because both those two guys are on my list too. Both on Heyman, my list too. Heyman, I feel like, is one of the guys where everyone says genius level, genius level, but to be able to take – not nothing, but you know, guys that are lower tier or, or or maybe thrown thrown away, and turn them into something interesting and something you can make money off of, and something people want to watch and get into. And even if it's a cult following, you took these guys. Let's just even say just, just incredible. The guy was Aldo Montoya. It's horrible, atrocious gimmick. He takes makes him just incredible, and you're like, oh, is this going to work? Oh, it worked. Oh, he takes Spike Dudley, this guy who's a school teacher who's five foot five. And like, oh, but I think he's got charisma. Turns him into Spike Dudley, makes his whole character, makes him the giant killer. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, these guys are, are the greatest of all time. But he's taking something, really nothing, making it into something and turning it into money and turning it into a cult following and turning it into this really good niche product that you know so many people fell in love with. And even Shane Douglas, look, he he was with Steamboat. You know, he's doing his own with the dynamic dudes. He becomes a dean. Horrible gimmick. Everyone knows it's a terrible gimmick. Then he becomes the franchise, and you know, he lives in infamy as the franchise. So it's just one of those things where Heyman maybe financially doesn't get the returns of events or something like that, but got to be up there for best booker because he could take nothing and make it into something. He could take SmackDown and make that the most interesting show for years when you could tell Vince was really trying to push Raw. Well, and the, the thing that's interesting about Heyman is in a lot of ways, he's the exact opposite of Vince McMahon, right? Like we, we, we were just sitting here talking about how great of a businessman Vince was. Right. Well, Paul's a great creative mind. Terrible business. <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, the, the whole business thing didn't necessarily work out. So what what's the proper solution? Well, now Paul Heyman works for Vince. And, and is there anybody that's got more clout walking around backstage at this point than Paul Heyman? Right. Even though he's not the booker, he could still book it because he's Paul Heyman. And sometimes I've noticed if you're smarter than Vince in certain aspects, sometimes like a JR type, it's like, okay, this guy's too smart for the room. Let's try to knock him down a peg. I feel like sometimes with Heyman, even when he was running, running raw, they were trying to knock him. I know obviously the ratings suck and they will continue to suck, but he was trying to knock him down a peg. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you're not running wrong. I'm going to knock you down a peg. It just seems like anytime you get a guy who knows what he's doing, 
I have a weird feeling that they always get knocked down a peg if they're not like a total, total corporate shill. Not saying that Heyman isn't corporate and everything else. It's just that it seems like he would probably argue with Vince a little bit. And Vince is like, okay, let's just knock this guy down. Well, I think, I think the thing is Vince needs and Vince wants immediate results. And that's not the way that Paul Heyman works. I mean, when right. you look back at that time when, when Heyman was running raw, I mean, he was trying to build new guys like Alistair Black. He was trying to lay a foundation with guys like Cedric Alexander. It takes a while for Paul Heyman guys to develop into Paul Heyman guys. Heyman's smart enough to look at that roster and go, this is a mess. We have to rebuild these guys. Heyman's playing more of a long game, and Vince needs immediate results, and it just didn't work with Paul Heyman. I think a lot – I agree with you guys wholeheartedly. on You know, Paul Heyman, I got him up there near the top, is, is one of the best of all time when it comes to the booking game. Uh, but, but the kind of – you know, that devil's advocate, maybe, you know, with Heyman – is we talked about those other factors that maybe play a hand in your booking decisions. It, it almost seems as like Paul needs a completely wide open pasture to have, you know, his way, you know, in, in any case where there are limitations, handcuffs placed around him, it, maybe he seems to buckle a little under that pressure. And it, if it would have been, you know, he was running from the bank for so, for how long and, and really working so many people that were in his locker room to help cover expenditures and waiting for that big payday. And, and really the stake lost its sizzle when ECW really broke through those barriers and went beyond, Hey, this really cool thing going on in the Northeast, you know, now they're going to go with this national exposure. They're getting pay-per-views like that. You could really feel that pressure and I thought it even showed inside of the booking of of ECW. So maybe all those pressures weighing on his shoulder were a little too much at the time. You know, we've seen it regularly when he's kind of taking the reins under the WWE umbrella. Uh, as Jargo said, though, he he needs more of that long term. He's got to establish these guys. Heyman's a guy that he's going to get over guys that are not going to get over anywhere else. Paz, you went through a complete list of names there. I mean, hell, you got Taz, who is five foot nothing and at one point we would believe is the baddest man one of the baddest men walking the planet because he he was able to take that time cultivate that that piece of ground grow it into what he wanted for the longest time when it's the first time that you guys saw ecw but you probably heard about it for two years this crazy little promotion going up well, pause you were there i mean it's in your neck of the woods but for jargo and i maybe you'd get a glimpse of it but then it was like, boom, it's here. And he had this this well-oiled machine running at that point. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, the, the problem with Heyman is it, he just wants to make what he thinks is a good story, right? He doesn't care about all the other BS. And then, you know, all of a sudden, oh, well, you can't do that because such and such a sponsor wants this. And then it changes. And then it's not ECW anymore. You know, it, it, you're, you're absolutely right. Once you put any kind of restrictions on Heyman, once there's a standard in practices, once there's a network he's got to answer to, once there's advertisers he's got to answer to, pay-per-view companies he's got to answer to, it completely changed the entire dynamic of ECW. With Heyman, the success was definitely there. Just look at it. WWF is here, WSW's here, and they're the number three, but they're selling out all over the place. You, you can't get their ticket, the hardest ticket in town. I know Philly, 1,200 people, but this is 
people getting kicked out of the door at 1200 people fans or uh, companies today would kill for 1200 fans at a show hopefully now it starts to pick up again but i mean that's just at the arena then you go to pittsburgh it's 5000 go uh, Har arena it's 6000 i mean great job for a quote unquote third promotion and that's really the creative he built something into this you know really cool following he built it up and it was a lot of great booking decisions where you might say okay uh, this is a hit or this is a miss in the grand scheme of things, the grand total, he did a great job booking that company. Well, he, he took an, he, you know, he created a style through his booking that was copycatted everywhere. Uh, and, and to this very day, you have companies out there still trying to figure out what the, the magic combination behind the method to that madness to try to recreate that, which almost makes me wonder if, if Heyman was afforded today the same opportunities he was then. And he was able to take the reins of a company like that. Would he be able to do that himself today with this changing, you know, this great change that we have in society? Because we were talking about, you heard those rumors at ECW, got little glimpses of it. People were beating down the doors to get in there. Would it work in today's environment where we're so connected and everything is boom, 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 ready, readily available? It, it would until it didn't. You know, and, and it's kind of the same thing with Vince Russo in a weird way, right? Because what Russo would do is he would take whatever was going on in pop culture and then he would somehow bring it into the world of wrestling, right? So you'd be ending up with like, you know, a Black Lives Matter kind of thing inside of the WWE. And then, you know, we'd take Mustafa Ali and we'd make him a cop because, you know, he was a cop on the streets and then he beats up the black guy and then somebody gets offended and then we, we want to cancel the WWE. Like it would work until it didn't. You know what I mean? And, and Paul Heyman, I think, would be very, very much the same kind of way. He seems more adaptable, though. Like, maybe Russo might be stuck in the sports entertainment like he wants Agreed. to do this way. Heyman seems more adaptable. Like, Heyman did the hardcore stuff, and then when he had the SmackDown 6, he went strictly wrestling. Well, so he could definitely adapt to... Well, the hardcore to- thing is so overdone when it comes to ECW. There was a lot of great technical thank, wrestling thank inside thank you, of Jargo. ECW. I mean, there was tremendous characters, really in-depth, you know, layered storytelling, but people just remember the ultra-violence, yep. but there was tremendous professional wrestling bell to bell and then you talk about some of the you know building the characters and making a connection driving true emotion they hit on all of those cinder rvd and jerry lynn could go out there and do nothing but reversals for five minutes and the crowd would go freaking insane without ever really touching a a finger on one another just reversing everything but the way the companies were set up ecw and wb at that point were completely separate and he knew how to kind of go through i know eventually he'll be sent down to ovw because he couldn't agree with stephanie who was one of the bookers at that point or trying to be the booker at that point maybe unsuccessfully trying to be the booker she might be if you were doing a worst list i was gonna say we're gonna spin off with the not 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 to do that again i know triple h of course i'm sorry to triple h but he again would probably be more towards although nxt he's doing a good job i know taking out the booker but with the wb run with him and stephanie were, were had the book Man, it was just uh, it was really bad for for a while. But not to get off track, I don't want to get off track. It just seemed like a Heyman that was completely different for him. And then when Heyman went to OVW, another complete different thing where he was trying to create new stars, create different gimmicks. The Spirit Squad, Punk versus Brent Albright, which is very serious, uh, very serious feud. He got over this, a strap, which you would think this is like 1970s, but it worked. So I mean, he could definitely adapt. To where he's going and be a good booker not necessarily making the most money but he's a he's a great booker I, fundamentally 
I think what's you know really speaks to how effective and makes and adds to the resume for Heyman is that he was able to go to OVW and get some success with that Southern wrestling because he was a, he was an upstate New York guy, you know, that Northeast, and it was are completely two different styles. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I know we, we brought up OVW and we brought yes. up Jim Cornette, and, and that mm-hmm. seems like a perfect segue. But I, I I got one I want to throw out before we go to Corny because he connects directly to Paul Heyman. Gabe Sapolsky, Gabe Sapolsky, oh, absolutely my makes list. my list. He's on my list. He's on what, my list for sure. What he did, really, I mean, he's done it with what three different companies now. I mean, between ROH and um, Evolve, and now with NXT, he with ROH specifically. 02 to 08, which is their bread and butter. I mean, anytime after that, I know Pierce takes over for there and it's like a little bit of a choppy run. And then when Delirious takes over, it's kind of choppy until they have the, the New Japan connection. But his run there is great because it's like, okay, wrestling needed something at that point. There was TNA, but you, you know, you had to pay $9 a week for it. And like, do you really want to be that invested? Wow, what is this ROH here? It kind of has the ECW feel to it, but it's much more centered on wrestling. But then if you really pay attention, he'll have those personal issues and the good storylines and the ROH versus CZW feud, which is actually how you book an invasion angle and get people invested and get people interested and literally get crowds like insane where like half the crowd wants to fight the other. I mean, really, you thought it was real for a second. I mean, that's something he did great. He always threw in those swerves like when he had he had a riot. You really thought like, holy shit, they had a riot at a show later on years later for all those were students or whatever but he always had a way of tricking you and even when something happened for real you always you always wondered to yourself like wow did gabe get us again is it a work is it a shoot so he he was excellent at kind of mixing reality in with the work and i i, I think rick you were saying you know everybody's been looking for that formula what made ecw how do we recreate that in the course of the last 20 years or so i think sapolsky's about the only one that's even come close what well, what's with Gabe, I, I think I don't want to take you know discredit him in any way here. Tremendous mind. He sat under, he sat under some tremendous learning trees, and he's learned how to adapt different styles and bring them together. And he's evolved with no pun intended how the game has changed itself. But you know, really, to me, when we're talking about those elite, man, I, I definitely want him on my team. I want him on my bench. I just don't know if he's had those big booms. Maybe because he hasn't had the opportunity. But he hasn't he, he hasn't really been an ultimate game changer. I mean, you had to be kind of in that cult following in that inside that bubble of that bubble to really appreciate those. I've seen him, but to an extent, true? but I mean the, the thing about Gabe to me was he broke out of that bubble. Like the people that weren't inside of the bubble would hear about, oh my God, did, did you hear what happened over at Ring of Honor? Like you got to go check out this match. You have to see this. You have to see X. You have to see Y to take basically a regional indie promotion and get that kind of national exposure, not only once, but then to do it again with Evolve. Like Evolve was the biggest indie for a reason. I I understand that, though. They did grow, but they didn't didn't burst their bubble where it just was absorbing others. It wasn't a major growth. It hey, was WWE just, took notice, though. Yeah, look I, at the I, roster. Again, in the land. I mean, yes, okay, so it's a great feeder there. 
I mean, he he didn't take it anything to that next level. Did they truly go national in any in any sense? I mean, Ring of Honor was just bought up because it was L- easy television. Well, but by that point, Gabe was gone. I understand that, but you could say that it was because of him that it laid that blueprint where somebody would see interest or value in it. Valid. I, I just have him down a tier. I I don't mean that as any as a disrespect. Still, though, a great booker, fundamentally speaking, great booker. And obviously his mentor is Paul Heyman. So, I mean, he he had a, a good learner or a good teacher to learn from, for sure. Absolutely. Okay, so, Rick, now what? Now you can spew on about how freaking great Jim Cornette is. Yeah, so are you going to talk about Cornette or, I mean, what, what's going on here, Rick? You mentioned him like three times. Let's go. Why is Cornette great Three booker? times? What, do you got me on no. the, uh, the the Cornette counter over there, Paz? <laughs> You click it away. I do agree, uh, though. Cornette's got to be on your list. I agree. I, I, hey, I, I am a huge Cornette fan. That is, that's, no, that's no lie. I, I listen to him like gospel. Uh, one of my favorite sayings is that, that Cornette is such a genius about professional wrestling that he knows jack shit about he, everything else. Uh, but, yeah, when you sit and listen to the man and, and you really – and a lot of people just dismiss, oh, he's he's too old-fashioned. He's He can't relate to what's going on today. That's absolutely not true because he just stays – he stays focused and committed to the philosophies and the fundamentals that have always worked in professional wrestling, in storytelling, in characters, in sport. And that's what he brings. Now, I'd like to sit here and say everything that he has done is perfect. Uh, There were times where he refused to budge and and move on certain trends like that. Absolutely. And it it hurt him. It killed him. It ran him out of business. Uh, But, but yes, Cornette is got to be up to the conversation. It's one of the greatest. Great fundamentally, great mind. I know Smoky Mountain kind of came along in a dead era and he tried to make it work the last real territory. And, and you know, a, a lot of things he was doing down there, people, you know, the whole gangsters. He was down there, he was down there pressing those, letting, letting them just rip, knowing what it was truly going to do down there in the South. Uh, you know, beyond that, they they had innovation and they brought so much to the table that was being sampled there by other promotions and, and the talents that he was able to discover. Just that eye for the talent. There's something very unique and man, it it's really special when you see an individual like that in professional wrestling. You know, there's people like us in podcasters in our position, journalists, people in the business that I'm talking to. Oh, I, I love professional wrestling. It's been my whole life. There's a difference when you meet someone that it truly consumes their being. They just don't love pro wrestling. They're just not a fan of it. They just don't study it and know it. They breathe it. And Jim Cornette's one of those individuals. With Cornette, you know, obviously being up there for sure, I'm always thinking of guys from – uh, not not his learning tree, but guys he learned under. So Jerry Lawler and Jerry Jarrett definitely come to mind. Very, very successful in Memphis. They're the point where we're kind of making very early on. We're saying, oh, that you might need to switch your booker in and out. There might be, you know, some exhaust or maybe mental breakdown or, you know, it could be too much day to day. But they would split it up uh, six months and six months. Uh, the story that uh, I've recently heard was that Lawler liked to be off for the Browns football season, which I don't know if is actually true or not. But basically, they, they split it up. So there's no breakdown. There's no, you know, exhaust. You really kind of split it up. But Memphis, 
I mean, everybody, anybody who's everybody went through Memphis, so successful, made so much money, and you're basically working one, not one small territory, but it is kind of in, in actuality, it's not global, it's a smaller territory, and they're making a ton of money, and they're making a living, and, you know, they're just dominating that area. Those two got to be considered. Well, I mean, don't they say Jerry Jarrett was like wrestling's first millionaire? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, th- I mean, this guy, you know, back in the territory, uh, growing, growing his own brand, his products there, and that they were able to expand because they started buying up. I mean, what they they bought the Dallas territory. Uh, they went down and bought out, you know, the Deep South, things like that. They they were booming, and that was behind Jerry. And obviously, Lawler, who just again had a tremendous mind. And they knew to keep it fresh. So because they were each wearing so many hats, you had to carry such a workload. It wasn't fair for maybe one of them to sit there and constantly concentrate. And he wanted to keep your product fresh and bring new faces in and out. I mean, the only really staple you had was was Lawler himself. I think there are so many of the guys that we're going to talk about today that you can go back and you can watch a lot of this stuff. And you're like, wow, that's that's really good pro wrestling, right? But if you go back even in 2021 and watch what was happening in Memphis when, when those two had the book down there, it still holds up. I, I think that is the, is the biggest testament to what the entire Memphis territory was. Regardless of time period, you can go back and watch that stuff, and it holds up. Uh, across the board, many different yeah. styles. Yes. Yeah. The entire show. I just to sit and watch the entire collection of what was going on in Memphis as a show, it still holds up today. Now, a guy that also booked Memphis, I want to mention, he kind of says a co booker, but he was part of the team and helped out Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler and also had much success in Puerto Rico. Huge numbers for IWA Puerto Rico down there. Dutch Mantel got to be considered one of the best bookers. Yeah, your your boy Dutch, uh, tremendous mind. Uh, I Baj, you get to sit down with him every week. I listen to so much of it back, and it, it's it's just it blows your way. Just that knowledge to sit under that learning tree, and you're absolutely right. It, it, you know, there's a lot of things where Dutch was handling just you know recently. I mean, let's talk about the you know the true boom in women's wrestling. It was him, correct? It was that really got the knockouts going. Yeah. Because why? Because wasn't did he understood what women's wrestling and sex was concerned that? No, he went to the fundamentals, the basics of what has always worked, what worked for him when he what he learned there uh, in Memphis, what he took to Puerto Rico, what when he was running the Midwest territories there. Those philosophies continue to work. Uh, so it, people that that don't, I mean, we we got the entire vault available over on Patreon. Two man power trip empire. I mean, it, it's worth the the seven bucks a month just for his show. In addition to the other great booking minds, little plug there for you. But yeah, I, to think about that, and I think he's one of those people that maybe because maybe just not the the flash and the flare wasn't there, uh, but maybe he just gets forgotten. That's the like. Is he one of the? he might be the greatest pro wrestling mind that nobody talks about. Right. Like probably yeah. he just, he doesn't get the credit. He doesn't get the exposure for what he actually did behind the scenes. And it almost seems like he was always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Like he was always, you know, that the, the person kind of like the Pat Patterson thing where everybody would go to Dutch, everything would go through Dutch, but Dutch wouldn't get the credit for it. 
But I think you know a lot of it is because he didn't he care about it. the credit for it. Well, he's got better he, things to worry about. He was never linked to anything, you know, the, like the controversial news or headlines that's going on. And, you know, what's another good old saying? You do everything right. People don't even realize you did anything at all. It's true. Another guy that I work with that I definitely consider one of the greatest bookers of all time, whether it be Florida or for WCW when they went through the 83 weeks of dominance, would be Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster. I, you talk I was about. Waiting. I was going to say you. You want to talk about a gentleman that doesn't get the the, the due justice that, that he has earned. You know, everybody's so quick to oh Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff, yeah, he was the the head guy. He led the charge there, but we a lot of people seem to forget that it was Sullivan uh, that was that was running the book, and, and he knew. And I think you know, but you kind of look at the the bringing in Hawk Hogan. That had to been such a challenge for Sullivan to, you know, really switch that style. Now I got to get this cartoonish style over here. We get the introduction of the Dungeon of Doom. I'm, I'm sure that you know he kind of laughs about that at times. And uh, it, but even he said it a, a handful of times. You know that he had ideas and, and knew in his mind that Babyface Hogan wasn't long for the world, especially of WCW. They had to come up with something. And now you know, and, and Eric developed you know this new strategy and was able to pitch it and sell it to hogan and the rest is history there but yeah he just absolutely uh, he's got out there and earned so much so much more than than he has given we talk about guys and they're being able to adapt is it, i think he might be the most adaptable booker in pro wrestling history i mean he literally took wcw from a pro wrestling territory and turned it into a sports entertainment territory and then beat vince mcmahon at doing it I mean, and with the chaos that was WCW on top of that, yeah, I mean, just listening to some of the stories and, and the, the shows that you have done with Impaz, the the mass chaos and how much things had to change on almost an hourly or at bare minimum daily basis inside of WCW because the structure of the company was just a mess. He's absolutely the most adaptable booker in my book. For sure. Now, with him, you got to think about where is he learning this stuff? You know, who is a booker ahead of him teaching him this stuff? And that's got to be Eddie Graham, right? You got to mention him as being one of the best bookers. Florida, huge territory back in the day and then in the territory days, Eddie Graham at the helm. Would you consider Eddie Graham one of the greatest bookers of all time? Uh, you look at the disciples of of Graham, it, Gilbert learned under him as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I mean, I, JJ Dillon, uh, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's where you're, which where you really find that greatness is how far your seed was able to help grow the industry. You know, we talk about these individual booms for a promotion that you're booking for, but you you look at this. I mean, these branches that that he set in motion. You talk about forever changing the landscape across the, all the territories, spreading globally. What a hell of a reach. It's an NFL coaching tree, right? I mean, it's just you're, you're talking about the patriarch of the coaching tree and all of the little individual coaches that he spawned are the guys that get all the credit. 
and I think maybe his best pupil, possibly. I know maybe we could go Sullivan, but was it the American Dream, Dusty Rose, another guy very, very high on my greatest Booker of all time list? Would Dusty be on your all time greatest list if Dusty wasn't on top of while Dusty had the book? You know what I mean? Like, I, and that's kind of the knock on Dusty when he had the book too, right? Like he, he had to keep himself on top, mostly because he was the only one that could, he could trust to do it, Daddy. You know, like Dusty, the, the stuff that Dusty was putting out there is absolutely incredible. Would it have worked with anybody but Dusty on top though? No, Locky, you know, we're going just real quick, you know, go back and talk about Jarrett Lawler. I mean, because you had Lawler, it was all booked around that. And, and, right. And it was, you know, kind of a running theme there. If you're the owner, the promoter, you're going to keep family or yourself on top because you can trust yourself. You're not going to screw yourself and do bad business, you know, trying to hold up the, the territory, run out of town or something like that. So in that sense, I, I give Dusty a little leeway. But yeah, he understood himself. He had a vision how he wanted it to play out and he could go out there and execute it. Uh, it is funny. I was just listening last night as I was going to sleep. I was catching up on some Cornette clips and, and Cornette was sharing his take on the, uh, I guess, announcement or possibility of AEW launching a, a six-man tag. Oh. And, and he and Cordette was talking about you know how it's gone through history, and he said, "Okay, I get it if if it makes sense. Like it made sense in world class because you had the Von Ericks and you had the Freebirds, and it gave them you know something that they were chasing. There It was a little extra you know spice uh, that that made everything so nice. When he talked about Dusty introducing the six man, it was so that he could get paid. You know." Put another belt on himself, team up with the Road Warriors, and paint his face. <laughs> that was, I mean, hell, uh, he was the he was the ultimate self promoter, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, but yes, and, and and then you look at you know his understanding of the business, how things worked, how to connect with an audience, how to really bring your character and all the other characters to that next level, and and you looked you know how meaningful and everything he was even through NXT. And you can argue, you know, through his mentorship, maybe the greater crops uh, that came out of that that part of the development for WWE. It's funny because Dusty is very much like Ric Flair to me, where like people look back on Ric Flair so fondly. And I'm just like, I don't get it. Like Ric Flair was the biggest dickhead in the history of professional wrestling when he was on top. You know what I mean? I know. But but, but, now there's, right, but now there's this narrative. You know, that would have you think that Ric Flair was Hulk Hogan, that he was like one of the greatest baby faces of all time. And there's all this, all these people loved Ric Flair. No, people hated Ric Flair. That's, that's, that's what made him so great. NXT absolutely did that for Dusty Rhodes, too. Like, there were as many people that loved Dusty Rhodes, there was that many people that freaking hated Dusty Rhodes and the way that he was when he was on top while he had the book, you know. But NXT has just completely changed that entire narrative that Dusty was really trying to get over the younger talent. He cared so much about developing the new generation. Yeah, tell, tell, tell that to the guys that worked underneath of him in Florida. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Like, it, it's just apples and oranges the, the the narrative that was at the time and now the narrative looking back hey baby dusty dusty just cared about getting on that jet we getting on that jet and flying across the country baby hey if you're making money you're successful you gotta right. keep it going hey, that's that's yeah. a successful book right if you're if you're filling the house uh they're, they're paying they're 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 running they're rushing down your gate 
I do think it's funny here. Uh, we mentioned Flair. If we do spin off here, we got Stephanie already out there. Worst booker, maybe Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, Flair, Flair, when he had the book, that didn't work out so great, did it? It's almost like Michael Jordan coaching. Some guys maybe shouldn't do the book because you're so good as a performer or as an athlete. Maybe the booking aspect, like Dusty's more of, I would say, more of that booking mind, psychology. He's got that down, who to push, who not to push, certain aspect. But I don't know if you're right. Flair definitely wouldn't put him up there as, as a great booker at yeah. all. Definitely that, not. That'd be an interesting question for, for you to go through with your guys' pods because I've, I've talked to Ted about this. When they have the book, do they prefer to be removed as a competitor? as as a persona that's out there in front of the audience so they like stepping back and worrying about others because uh, i know you know regularly for our shows we we wanted ted to be you know one of our top guys because we just know how incredible he is in the ring and, and the audiences love him and he was pretty firm on that if i'm going to run the book uh, i'm going to run the roster up and down and i don't want to you know it, it it's and it's not that he felt bad that, that he would go out there and be a star you know he could shine and it not that it wouldn't be fair but it wouldn't be fair that he would have to split his time between paying attention to the rest of that roster and then just worrying about, you know, getting himself in his mindset. So another guy that I was thinking of was a guy like Cowboy Bill Watts. What do you think with him? And then I have another name associated with him as well, but what about Bill Watts? Jargo and I actually, this was a name that we, we had talked about when we were kind of prepping for this thing. Ooh, nice. and, and and this was one of those where we really were like, this is where we need a, a hard line and a definition of a promoter and a booker. So, I mean, to me, it's... He kind of, like Vince, he almost did both. Right. He, he very much falls into that Vince yeah. category. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But their most successful period in the early to mid-80s, the booker was Bill Dundee. So I, that's why I put him on this list too, because everyone says, "Oh, Mid South." This Vince, the only thing he feared was Mid South, because he knew that the NWO NWA wasn't a threat to him. But he he was afraid of Watts, and you know you always hear those little stories. Who knows how true it was really with Vince? But they would always say like, "All right, I'm scooping up all these guys from Mid South. I want to kill off this territory. I don't like the way Watts goes about it, his business, because I think he'll." He'll come back at us like, you know, a little bit of back and forth with Watts and Vince for sure. But Dundee was the most successful when he took the book over there. Absolutely. You know, real quick back to, to Watts and Vince. So similar. It, it's so different uh, just from where they're at. But really their drive, their mindset and their leadership, because it seems that they, they both really did understand, you know, to surround themselves with the right individuals. Uh, I mean, hell yeah. I mean, you, you go back to Watts, Cowboy, bringing JR into the office, uh, you know, how and how the role that he played and what he learned about finding talent, how to promote shows and everything. Those inner workings, really. And, and that's who groomed him for that. And like Vince, Watts was very demanding. He wanted results. And you, you better prove yourself, prove yourself quick, or you're hitting the bricks. I, I always have wondered. Would the pro wrestling business have looked differently if Cowboy would have been like 20 years younger by the time, you know, Vince actually arrived on the scene? Wow. You know, like, because I, I, I feel like when it comes to the mind, when it comes to the, the promoting aspect, as well as the booking aspect, surrounding yourself with the right people, like time was just not on Cowboy's side, right? 
Like if if you would have had a younger, more spry cowboy up against the young, brash Vince McMahon, if things would have worked out differently. Ooh, man, you talk about you, know, you take the Monday Night Wars and throw them out. The right? That would have been. Or if you had watched kind of in that position that you had uh, Ganya Vern. Yeah. Yeah. Or even if, you know, somebody like Watts would have come up w- with ECW. You know, I, I think that would have been it, it would have been very interesting to have just been able to sit backstage when Watts actually went to work for Vince. Oh, yeah. Could you imagine <laughs> those conversations? My God. With Watts, we're talking about him. We're saying Dundee because they had such success. He brings in the Midnight Springs in the rock and roll. I mean, he, he's just he's dominating really for there for about two, three years of a period there where Mid-South really was on, on a huge boom. So just another name I want to throw out there. Territory guy, of course. Dutch always says he was such a great booker. Did great in Knoxville. Did great in Continental down in Pensacola, Florida. But what about Ron Fuller? Oh, yes. Uh, the, the Tennessee uh, Cowboy? Was it Tennessee Outlaw or Tennessee Cowboy? Which one was it? Tennessee I, Stud. I, stud, the Tennessee Stud. I, 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 every now and then, just because... Yeah, you talk about someone that just man a great a great listen. So I'll go over and catch a couple of his the uh, the stud cast yeah. the stud cast. Yeah, uh, you're right, and he's one of those people that just kind of seem to get lost. And I think it's someone that's he kind of goes back to man. You really want that guy on your team? That knowledge, the innovation, getting the most out of talent, but maybe just that tier tier or so down. You, you bring up the stud cast and a lot of these names that we're talking about, I just take a moment to realize how cool is it that we get to listen to these guys like now in 2021 with the adventation of podcasts, like we get to sit down and listen to people like pause sit and pick their brains. Like how freaking cool is that? Well, so, and it, here's what's so most discouraging know. though is you have this entire crop of young fans and even not just fans, those that are inside the business. I talk to them regularly and I'm regularly sending them clips, sending them clips just from, from our guys at HMG, you know, uh, from Ben, from Stevie, from, from Syl, from beast, from, from King, but then from those guys, you know, and I, I have access to, I can clip it out all the time. So from Dutch, from, from Sullivan, from JJ, you know, and then from the stud cast or something from Cornette, if you would just for people in this modern age, if you're coming up in the business, if you if you have dreams of getting there, oh, even if you are in WWE, if you consider yourself a fan, you really want to understand what is going on. It's right there. It's easy access. You can study and learn from the gr- absolute greatest minds that that pro wrestling and you can apply it across the board, no matter what your profession, it's just in life in general, you're going to learn stuff. Also on the list, we kind of mentioned it before. I just want to mention Eddie Gilbert or another guy, uh, kind of, uh, Paul under really, he kind of mentored Heyman a little bit. He was the, the booker down in, in continental for a while. And Heyman was his assistant booker. And obviously he was in ECW for a little bit. And then Heyman would come to ECW, but I just want to throw Eddie Gilbert's name. Hey man, let's not forget the global wrestling federation. Oh, global too. Yes. Yes. Can I forget that? One of my, um, my guilty pleasures. I I like some global. One also mentioned some guys from the far East, right? Jargo. I know you had a few real real quick on uh, Gilbert. Yes. Uh, I shared I shared this with Jargo. It was I came, not so long ago. I 
heard an interview that he had given. And this is back in the early 90s, maybe 92, 93. And even then, he had talked about how there was going to be a period where, you know, that the business itself would have to embrace these dirt sheets because they were going to expand beyond belief uh, that, that people in the business could never imagine. And people are going to be more informed what was going on about professional wrestling than ever before. And even at that point, he said, we need to learn to embrace this now to, so that we can continue to operate how we do, how, how we kind of work. Uh, so even then just that mind, the visionary that he was, uh, and unfortunately, yep. I mean, just one of those that we lost in way too soon. Yep. He also helped uh, book Memphis a little bit, Puerto Rico. I mean, he's definitely great mind for the business. Well, and, and we even talked a little bit off air, Rick. How different would the world of pro wrestling be if they actually had embraced the dirt sheets at that time? You know, as, as a legitimate form of media. And how would that have changed the business? Fascinating conversations. Um, Paz, you did bring up a, a couple from the Far East. Mm-hmm. Yes. Couple, couple that I, I think we got to throw kind of into the Dusty Rhodes category. Uh, number one, Giant Baba, who you know, going back to all Japan. Uh, you and I were talking a, a little bit off air before we started recording. You were like, "Was he actually the Booker?" Well, I, I have done a little bit of research here while we were talking, mm-hmm. and it turns out that Baba did in fact have the book, which is probably why Baba was on top for absolutely ever. Um, and then the same thing with Ricky Choshu. Uh, going back to New Japan's kind of prime era, Choshu was the guy that was running around backstage with the book. And I, I think both of those guys, when it comes to promotion as well as booking, need to be considered uh, going a bit more historic. But to bring it into a more modern context, I got to give a shout out to my boy Gato. Gato is... is has anybody inside of the world of professional wrestling over the course of the last, what, six, seven years put out more quality material than Gato? I mean, even looking at it historically, the run that New Japan has had under Gato having the book has just been incredible, let alone the global exposure that he has brought to New Japan Pro Wrestling. I think and Gato is absolutely in this conversation. And financially. I mean, their numbers have been great for, I'd say, seven, eight years in a row. He's definitely been a stalwart as far as saying, hey, who's the best booker? Who's doing the best job as a booker? He's been phenomenal. And, and you can say, oh, it's Japan. But, man, he's been able to do it globally and you know, make the thing with the uh, uh, team up with Ring of Honor, make the team up with uh, CMLL, and really kind of make the brand even bigger, bigger, and grow bigger. Where now they have the U.S., New Japan, USA. I mean, they have so much going on, the strong show and everything else. But, man, uh, New Japan with Ghetto, no doubt about it, uh, he's got to be on the list. And and funny enough, it's more of that traditional old-school kind of booking style. Like, everything inside of New Japan just seems so logical. It all just makes sense. And you also get the sports-like presentation – and when you think about the, the learning trees that Gato sat under, one of the top names is Paul Heyman. People forget that Gato and Jado were over in ECW. It all just American makes style. sense. They love the Western style, yeah. And, and, and they've really bought the blend between the Japanese style and the American style. And I think that's what's really, really clicked. I think that's what sets them apart. You know, rightly when we're making those comparisons from the East and West, we have to, you know, we remind everyone apples and oranges, you know, they're so different, but you look at what they've sampled, 
but it was able to sample in the West and integrate that into the traditional style that we see in the East. And to me, yeah, Jargo, I mean, hell, there's been two, three years it'll take a story to pay off, but boom, it clicks, and you're like, wow. <laughs> and then every little, you know, every little dot, that, that piece of the puzzle along the way, it's like, oh, man, it all comes together, and it just clicks for you. And it's that ultimate payoff that you're looking for. Especially when it's a story like, and I mean, because it's it's easy to look at everybody's best work, right? Like it's it's easy to look at Okada's 720 day title reign and be like, oh well, yeah, I mean, Gato's just he absolutely bloat. Look at like the junior heavyweight title, you know, with something that's maybe mid card at best. He has elevated all the way to the main event. The story between Hiromu Takahashi and El Desperado that paid off at the finals of Best of Super Juniors this past December was seven years in the making. That story was seven years old by the time you finally got the payoff to that whole thing. That, to me, doing that on the undercard, that is what just sets Gato apart for me. It's easy to judge the top of the card, but when you look at the whole card... And you're taking care of the talent that far down the roster. I think it pushes Gato over the top. Well, I think you know to go way back to almost the beginning here. It was one of the things if if, if we are going to include him as a booker that Russo always took pride in. He tried to find something for everyone. Yep, get everybody over. So, is anybody that we didn't mention? Anybody we forgot? Chargo? Anybody on your list? Um, no. I think we got everybody on my list. Nice RBV. I sure think if there's like any maybe mentions out there, but I can't think of anyone that that would immediately jump, you know, into that conversation at the top. Uh, this is one of those where you just feel bad, and, and as soon as someone calls you out on it, you're like, "Oh, how did how did you miss that name there?" But I know that uh, somebody out there was going to say Tony Khan. I know that. Yeah, and uh, that's somebody. Uh, please send me your address. I will buy a plane ticket and we'll come punch you in the face. They are now operating in the red, as I revealed by yeah. Ford. They are losing money. That that was a little uh, clickbait. It's because of the huge investment that they made in their video games. So if, as long as they can, it's, it's halfway ask their way out of that. That'll turn it. That'll turn around for them. So that that was a little misleading. So. I like to see. Wait, AEW. you mean the wrestling media was trying to mislead people? Well, like, this, this was out of Forbes. <laughs> oh, Forbes, yeah, because the mainstream media—they're so much better yeah. than the wrestling media. Yeah. So RBV, who's the greatest booker of all time? Who is the best? Man, yeah, start with me on this one. Yep. <sighs> you know, it's. I, I was. I was. You're. You know. You're playing all these names back, and you're weighing. Okay pros cons making your little list i got it down to my three but i i think i'm gonna go with paul Heyman. i just think he could do the different styles he can take talents that that you will almost be laughable i mean i i wish that, that he could go in and, and take control of aew right now with guys that they don't look like professional wrestlers they should be professional wrestlers and if he could adapt actually to today and bring in some relatable storytelling. I'd love to see what he could do. I mean, he did it in the South. He did it in the North. He he truly revolutionized the business and in his booking style. I'll stick with Heyman. Chargo. I hate to be that guy, 
and I hate to be the homer, but you know, as the host of Destino, a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast, no, new Destino, new, new episode available now. Like I was literally sharing it as we uh, started this show. I'm gonna go with Gato, and I'm I'm gonna go with Gato not just because of the the way all that, time all time man. Because I honestly, when you look back at all of the guys that we have talked about. Paul Heyman is is a really really good comparison to me with Gato because it's up and down the card. It's it's the booking up and down the card regardless of your place on the card, having something for everyone and keeping everybody emotionally invested whether it's the first match on the show or the last match on the show. And there's a lot of these guys we talked about that were really good at booking the top two or three matches and then everything else was just kind of a hodgepodge of thrown together shit, right? A Gato up and down the card, I have a hard time going against him. You know, you know what we got there, Pause. Oh, what the hell was that? That's Homer in Japanese. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Definitely Homer. I got to go, I guess maybe technically a little unconventional, but he was on my mind whenever I think of a great booker. And technically speaking, you can kind of say he's not or wasn't the booker, but I always considered him to be the booker because he was kind of making the um, – the final pitch to Vince. And I just think Pat Patterson, whenever I think of best booker, just because the golden era, I mean, he was there uh, for it all. I know he technically say he's, he was a big agent too, but to me, he just seems like he was the creative force behind so many good things. The Royal rumble, um, the Hogan macho man, uh, Hogan warrior, just a bunch of uh, good fugit and just things that made sense psychology wise. And everyone seemed to be more important back then too. It's just like, now I know Heyman was great at it and Ghetto was great at it, making everybody seem important. Russo was even good at it, making everybody on the card valuable. And I don't know, Pat Patterson, to me, I know maybe a little unconventional, but I always just immediately think of him when I think of best booker ever, the greatest booker ever. Now, now gentlemen, I know we're up against the clock here, so real quick, as we're mm-hmm. talking about those, those – those, when you talk about bookers, you're talking about greatest minds in professional wrestling. Is there anyone that really jumps out to you that maybe never had a major spot running a book that you would have liked to see with that opportunity? Steve Carino. Oh, wow. Nice. I was actually getting, I don't know why, because when you said Steve, I was going to say Steve Carino. Yeah, I could see that. That would be definitely interesting. Uh, I know he had a small run in XPW, but Shane Douglas, he's got such a great mind. If you were talking about wrestling, I mean, obviously do the podcast with him every week, but just the stuff that he says, even like when you're at a wrestling show and he's like, oh, the they should have done this here. Uh, now the crowd is out of it. Like explain stuff to you. Cause we were at a show quickly. A guy did this spot and he got beat down and he got up immediately and it just didn't make sense. And he's like here. And it went into intermission. He was explaining like from A to Z, how you do that, especially when you're going into intermission, this and that, and how that's going to affect people buying the merch. But like he broke down from A to Z how they should have done it, especially if that was going to be the spot before the intermission. I was like, man, you're a got a great mind. And I know XPW is a very small sample size, and he really didn't get the book uh, for for that extended period of time. And I know he booked a few shows with Cody Michaels in and around Pittsburgh and, and like the Mark Curtis shows and stuff like that. But I feel like if he got a longer run as a book, he would have seen what a great mind he has for the business. I would have loved to seen the 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 evil the evil scientist the uh, the mind of Roddy Piper. 
that would have been a crazy promotion. And like, it would have, it, that might've been like the birth of CZW. If you would have gave Piper the book. Uh, is Andy going to get a uh, shout out here? John Zandig? No, no. Yeah. I didn't no. think so. Um, worst bookers ever. We were saying Stephanie triple H got to throw this guy out there, even though he's I, don't know great... I put H. I don't think I put H in there. But... Well, cause of the NXT stuff, maybe we can kind of wipe what else, it away. What else is he really booked? Well, him and Stephanie, when they were booking, um, I guess so. Yeah. That era, I guess technically not the head bookers, but they were. I, I, I more blame that on uh, on Stephanie. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I really have Stephanie McMahon up there with the young bucks, with the people that ruined professional wrestling. Um, I'm gonna not agree or disagree with them, but I'm just gonna say this person. He might have uh, the number one podcast out there. He may be one of the greatest producers of all time. May be a great. Uh, um, character, but Bruce Pritchard, anytime he's had the, the book, quote unquote, it's been a big stinkeroonie, including today's wrestling when he's the head of creative writing. So, it, to me, maybe that's not the best role for him. Uh, I, I just think, you know, in today's for, for Bruce to really improve what he's got going on, uh, Bruce, pick up an eight ball. I feel like the problem with Bruce <laughs> is he's too much of a Vince yes man. Like that he just goes it. with yeah. whatever Vince says. And Vince, yep. And yep. he doesn't push back on anything. Like I think I think Pritchard might actually have a better mind for the business and what people necessarily give him credit for. He just doesn't necessarily have a backbone. Well, uh, what's he what's he coming up celebrating 40 plus years in the business? He's doing something right. There is that. Smart man, smart well, man. Well, he should thank Conrad Thompson for at least the last 10. Oh yeah. Well, I got himself in that position. Hey, back in with Vince. Pretty high, uh, highfalutin position, making a ton of money. But let's head over to the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com. And of course, Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire. RBV. Hey, pause. Don't forget, uh, right now, over on the uh, Two Man Power Trip Patreon, you get. You got all the incredible bookers we were talking about. We got a vault full of interviews. I mean, just recently added, uh, we got Tyson Kidd. We got Eric Bischoff. We have got I mean, uh, Billy Corgan, Nick Aldis. All of that for the rest of, ju- the rest of June is completely free. So, again, two-man power trip, M- Empire Patreon. Hey, and also uh, Patreon, we've got some free content at the Hameen Media Group. So that's patreon.com backslash Hameen Media Group. Pick up all of our weekly free content there as we make our transition towards the Realm Network. Me personally, hey, you can keep up with me across all social media at the Real RBV. Jargo. Keep up with me across all social media platforms at not Jargo, michaeljargo.com, destinopod.com, hittingthemarks.com. And now you can also find me over on the Big Vito brand Monday nights as I have uh, joined up with uh, Vito for a, a show called Men of Business, where uh, it's kind of more of a life podcast. Like this week, I got to bury LeBron James, and that made me very, very happy and explain to you why he is not the greatest of all time. Hell, he's not even the greatest Laker of all time. He's not even the greatest member of the Miami Heat of all time. Get out of here with your greatest of all time BS. I hate the greatest of all time stuff for him because if you really threw him in there with that argument and the guys that I would put above him, you could almost say he's overrated. Oh man, I mean like to be honest, I'm not even sure Michael Jordan. Come on. Well just looking at the Lakers, like just greatest Lakers of all time. He doesn't even crack the top five. Kobe Shaq, Kareem, Wilt. Yep. 
I mean, like yeah, well, Jerry Jesus West. Come on, he's not even the he's not even the greatest Cavalier. Mark <laughs> Price. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Brett, Brett Doherty. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, the poor uh, man's Larry Bird. Now, before we go off the rails here, thank you everybody uh, for tuning in this week. We'll see you right back here next week for who is. Thank you, everybody. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.